Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. I'm April. And I'm Caroline. And this is your bloody happy hour. Caroline, are you ready for this? This is your newest guilty pleasure. It's the bloodiest part of your week. Did we say something about it also being happy hour? Showed in. Because we're about to be sipping on some murder. Bloody happy hour. Hey, y'all. This is April. What's up? What's up? It's Caroline. This We're is back. Thursday. We're back. Bloody happy hour at your finest with the new month. Serial killers, bitches. OG serial killers. Varsity, A-team. All the above. And we have some good ones. I'm so excited about today. I, I told Caroline, I was like, oh, I'm going to do him first. It's going to be easy breezy. Like- there is not an easy breezy <laughs> serial killer ever. And if there is, we probably wouldn't cover them. No, we like to do the most difficult ones, I think. <coughs> the heavy hitters. So um, I'm, again, drinking on some whiskey. It might be my newest favorite thing. Where's the bottle, though? Um, what are you drinking? Well, it's a little something called Deep Eddies. Ooh. Or just for today. So for today, we're going to get deep into Eddie today, actually. That's true. Hint, hint, hint. Can we tell them about our amazing Friday nights? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> we we saw a drag show. We partic- not participated. <laughs> we were, um, I guess, sponsored a Bloody Happy Hour sponsored a drag array. Oh, that's what it, okay, okay. Drag array. But that means that it can be men or women who are participating in it. Yes. Typically a drag show is. I don't know. I don't think okay. it's ever typically anything. I oh. think it's whatever. Yeah. Very equal opportunity. But I was a virgin. Caroline was basically a virgin. So our drag cherry was popped on Friday. And let me just say, um, Coming to another one, I was in awe. Like, I was amazed. And I learned some terms. What were you most most amazed by? I was amazed by their makeup putting on skills. Yeah. You were were basically watching them get dressed and, like, put on their makeup. I was amazed by their glam. I mean, do they do do those shows, like, all the time? They have to dress up so, so much? I, no, I think it's like a like monthly type thing, maybe oh. once or twice a month. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and what else was I amazed of? I was amazed about. I met two parents in the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that couple? Yeah. And they were. I just thought they were just fans, but they were actually parents of one of the drags queens. And they were so proud of their daughter. And they, they're from Houston, but they traveled to wherever their daughter has a show. 
like they were proud. They had their dollars in the air. And I was like, you know what? This is like I go watch my son play football and travel like to state or to different. They were traveling and watching their daughters. And I was like, you know what? Who gives a shit what certain people believe? They're loving their child and supporting their child. There you go. Just think if they didn't like that, how that that drag queen might have been trying to slit her wrist or something because (laughs) her parents didn't love her anymore because she chose something that is not normal. That's true. <clears throat> and that was, they had one, <coughs> they just had one daughter here in it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also learned a new term. What? Well, Pan. and they said, yeah, pansexual. But now there's more letters on the thing. I don't think there's more letters, but some people say, like, add more letters when they talk about it. Well, they did, and I got confused. Well, I would be confused, too. So it wasn't just LGBTQ. They said <laughs> LGBTQIAPK. I don't know where you got this PK, but I don't know why people, I don't know why some people say the extra letters and some people don't say the extra, you know, like what? Oh, well, I thought it maybe this is like added on. Like, remember it used to be LGBT, then it was LGBTQ. Yeah. And then, and then now, so like I think plus sign. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's in the dictionary now. We can look it up. It's oh, here it is, Urban Dictionary. Oh, look at that! <laughs> <laughs> look at there. You just come across it. <laughs> so let's tell you the definitions of the LGBTQIAPK community, <laughs> in case you're, if you don't know, we're like gonna, I didn't okay, know. Listen, we're gonna give you. She's gonna give you this lesson, and then I have a short history lesson. Yes, yes, because. You just thought this was a true crime and a slash porn podcast? No. Now no. it's history. It's and history. Equal opportunity. Love equal all. rainbows and all of the <laughs> things. Okay. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. That's what I knew in the beginning. Now IAPK is intersexual, asexual, Polygamous slash polyamorous. Polyamorous. Polyamorous kink. Kink separately? What is a kink? K is kink. Wait, what is, okay, what is kink? I, it's, it's, and kink, like when you, I mean, you can have like, you, you can when like you have kinky fetishes, but like, I it's don't. It's a taste. It's a sexual taste. A kink is a short tight twist or curl caused by doubling or winding of something upon itself. You got to get your pantyhose or <laughs> no, kink in your hair. Kink is a sexual <laughs> taste. And so I think they're just trying to now put in anybody who's different, who falls out of the normal, like regular heterosexual. That's why they need, that's why the plus, I mean, oh, it's like, maybe that's LGBTQ plus. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, there we go. So there, yeah. Whew. Man, that was a <laughs> lot of stuff. Okay, let me talk to you really quickly about, first of all, when you were like in school, high school and stuff, and you know, we learned all this stuff, you know, we have this whole Russia situation going on right now. Yeah, and I've seen it, but I have and no w- idea what it April is. April just learned last week what NATO was, only because it was in the episode. 
and she still probably doesn't really know no, what it is. No, I thought it was Ralph. And Nato. then like, what's the tr- what's a treaty, and what's a peninsula, and what's an annex, and what are all these things, all these terms? And we used to have like vocab terms, and you have to like match it up. Like, no, I don't even know what the United Nations is. But I had to look all this stuff up today because I was so into what's happening. So I just wanted to sum it up to everybody in a way that maybe I would understand more, and maybe you would understand this, April. Okay. Do you know? <laughs> Kanye West. Yeah. Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Pete Davidson. Who? That's who Kim Kim Kardashian is dating right now. Okay. Okay. So let me, this is how I'm going to explain it. Kanye West is Russia. Okay. Kim is Ukraine. Okay. And Pete Davidson is the United States. Okay. So Kanye and Kim are together, but Kim wants to break up. You know, she is like, Kanye was like, no. I own you. And Kim's like, no, you don't own me anymore because we broke up. And Connie's like, well, I still want to stay together. I want to stay together and I want us to be a family again. Because they were a family before. Yeah. That's, that's Russia and Ukraine were a family. They were the Soviet they were Union. Okay. Look at you. Girl. So Kim is like, no, I just want to be all, I just want to be by myself and I want to have my own life and. And you crazy. Yeah. And, and. Kanye's like, well, actually, I just really want to be closer to you, Kim, because I don't like that Pete is getting so close to you. Oh, okay. And so Kanye is like, Pete is just Pete is just using you to get to me. And Pete is like, no, Kanye, I really do like Kim. So Pete's the United States, uh-huh. and he's like, I really do like Ukraine. Okay. And he's like, but only if I can. Con-. Pete's like, only I only like Kim if I can control her. Mm. Okay, so then Kim is like, Kanye, leave me the F alone. You're just scared that I'm going to marry Pete. Okay. And then he's like, she's like, I want to be with Pete. Okay, so Ukraine and the United States want to be together, right? And then Kanye is like, well, if you date Pete, then I won't divorce you. I won't, okay. I won't divorce uh-huh. you. And then Pete is like, Kanye, you're crazy. You're uh, you're imbalanced. You're out of control. You're a mess. And I'm going to marry Kim. And then Kanye's like, bet, I'm just going to not divorce Kim, but then I'm going to just start attacking you and putting all this stuff on social media and become friends with Marilyn Manson and the baby and then release (laughs) my album, Donda 2, at the end. (sighs) (laughs) So basically, Russia and Ukraine were tight, and then Ukraine was like, I don't want to be tight with you anymore. I want to go join NATO because the U.S. is part of NATO. Uh NATO is made up of 30 countries. Or like 30 members of NATO, and they're like an alliance, like a military alliance. Okay. So they're like, oh, I want to become part of y'all's alliance because I don't like Russia anymore. Oh. But Russia is right next door to Ukraine, and they're bordering. And then Russia's like, if you join NATO, no, I'm going to start a war because I don't like that you're going to go join them because we used to be best friends. Oh. So Russia's pissed, and then it takes like 20 years to become part of NATO, and then like the... Some other president came into Ukraine, and then a NATO thing got all messed up, and then now the United States got somebody in there. They had this little coup, and they got somebody in there who they like, who they're like, okay, now we'll get you in to NATO. But it didn't get confirmed before Russia attacked Mm, Ukraine. So they're, like, trying to attack Ukraine to get back at us. What? It never works So Kanye is trying to... 
attack Kim to get to Pete or something. I understand the situation so much more. <clears throat> I wish my history teacher gave analogies like that. I listen. I just want to tell y'all that you're welcome. I felt like that was a great analogy. And I would tell you, I have another little tidbit, but I won't go into that detail, but I'll tell April later. <laughs> wonder what the history teachers out there are thinking. They're going to steal it. Oh, I would for sure steal it. They're going to steal it. <coughs> I I believe they will. Wow, so you got a little bit of rainbow yes. news, a little bit of history. Yes. Shall we get it started with some Eddie? Yeah. Who's Eddie and why is he so popular? So I'm going to tell you about the co-ed killer, also known as Edmund Kemper III. If you've ever watched Mindhunter, yes. he was also based on... One season or something like that. One yeah. season or was based on him. And that actor looks exactly like him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, He killed it. He should have got an Oscar for that. I know. I wish and they still. And they canceled it. I know. I don't. I can't even do. So my source for today's episode was Edmund Kemper's The Life of the Co-Ed Killer. And it's a very easy read book. Like a kindergartner can read this. I mean, I wouldn't give it to him, but. It's an easy read book. Caroline, you would love it. It's, it is my size of a book. <laughs> it is. Let it's me see like how big the words are. You got any pictures? No pictures. So I have to warn you right now that, I mean, like all of our episodes, there's some explicit information. <clears throat> Nothing like the children of God. Okay. And I have to warn you that um, you're about to hear about the most likable serial killer I think that there is. <gasps> I don't know, Ted Bundy. Likeable. Like, people w befriend this guy, even after they know what he's done, because he just... Stayed it with Ted? No. Mm, I don't know. Okay. Okay, so Ed Kemper, he was born December 18th, 1948. His daddy was Edmund, and his mama was... Clarnell. She has the greatest name. Ugh, it's the worst. <laughs> okay, so he had two sisters. One was older and one was younger. Um, and his daddy, who was Edmund Kemper II, provided well for his family. Like, he had a decent job. They didn't want for anything. But Clarnell, the mama, she was never happy about anything. And so she was always running in on him and talking about his bullshit job and his sissy personality and um ed he didn't want she didn't want ed to be a sissy like his dad her kind of mm -hmm. quote so he she didn't really show ed any love like ever starting at an early age and then when daddy edmund tried to show him any attention and love she chastised him for coddling edmund mm. so he grew up feeling isolated he had low self-esteem, and he felt unloved, right? Yeah. Here we go. It's the mama, right? It always goes back to the mom. Mm -hmm. So in school, Kemper didn't do very well. Like, he didn't do, have great grades. He didn't have a good relationship with his teachers because he considered them as, like, extensions of his mom because it's another woman 
kind of yeah. telling you what to do yeah. all the time. And so he kind of just didn't try. He didn't care about trying to make them did happy. He is, did he think he was probably smarter than them too or knew more? I mean, he. C- I don't know that he knew of his um, – he like was how smart he was okay. at this time. Okay. He didn't know that until later. So he shied away from adults and adult females because he thought they would treat him like his alcoholic mama did. He was also bullied at school because he was so shy. He was a little awkward, and he was humongous, like tall. He was a giant and then he had poor grades, and so he just he was just alone, like at yeah. home and at school. So basic needs, he's not getting met, those mm-hmm. security needs, not getting met early. So when he was nine, um, his dad had enough, and so daddy left home. And I think this month you're going to hear that a lot. Oh. There's an estranged father. Um, I know it's a common one for my next story. So then Kemper felt abandoned, and um, it was even worse because he had to be there all the time with his mom, who he described as unbearable. Um, so then there's those sisters, right? So he got along okay with his sisters, and they would play, you know. But when he started, for some reason, ripping the heads off their dolls and, like, keeping the heads... They were like, I don't want to play with him anymore. <laughs> so they kind of ignored him, too. He was the middle? He was the middle. Okay. Always. I'm sorry. I mean, except for you, you it's know, always a middle child. I mean, <laughs> pretty, I could say I fit into that pretty well. So by the age 10, he killed the family, take Bird. a guess, cats. I mean. I know. I mean. You, that's not very nice. It's not very nice, but, but it's just I get, a cat. I mean, I get, you're going to have the furries on you, April. <laughs> or oh, another term I learned about this week. I'm not even going to go into that. Um, so he killed the family cat. So what he did is he just dug a hole and put the cat inside of the hole alive and covered it up. And then when he, I guess when the cat stopped struggling, I might have a nightmare about this. Um <laughs> He dug it back up and then chopped off the head. And he was just examined the body because he was so amazed at the fact that the cat was dead. So there's the head. So he's taking the heads off the bodies. Mm -hmm. Then he chopped the head off the cat. That's going to be like a common factor later on when you hear more about Eddie Boy. <clears throat> they got a replacement cat because they were like, I don't know what happened to the cat. Let's get another cat. <laughs> they didn't even know. They didn't even know. Well, he did the same thing with the replacement cat, cat, but this time he was like, I killed this cat because he didn't like me and he liked my sisters more than me. Well, shit, you're a cat killer. <laughs> I mean, uh, cats, I don't like cats at all, but I'm pretty cats sure don't really they like knew. people. They don't even go around you. Don't, don't they like sit on top of the refrigerator? Oh, and like, I don't know. Mm-mm. So, but this time he did it with his hands. He like killed the cat. <gasps> oh, he just remembered it with his hand. Oh, mm-hmm. like mm. last time he let the he yeah. let it just like suffocate. This time he like did it with his hands, and then he kept pieces of the cat corpse <laughs> in his closet as a reminder of the thrill. What? Like, did it stink? It 
does. Oh, no. Because mama finds it. Oh, no. Um, Also, about this time, he's 12 years old um, now, and he tells his sister that he has a crush on one of his teachers. I guess he finds one of his teachers attractive, which, you know... Okay, it's, yeah. It's, that's common, right? Yeah. And his sisters, like sisters do, they kind of tease him. They're like, well, you ought to go and kiss her. Oh, my gosh. And he says. Oh, I know what he says. Well, I can't do that. If I did, I'd have to kill her first. You know. First, not after. Yeah. It's, it's like you hear that term. Yeah, yeah. If well, I tell if I you, do, I'll tell you I have to kill you. But that's after. Yeah. <laughs> right? But he's, He was the killer first, then kiss her. Were they like. Uh, you're such a freak, or what were they saying? There is no What do you think they said? They probably just ignored it. They'd be like, I'm not talking to you, you're not my brother. They probably just were like, oh, you're a weirdo anyways. Yeah, we already know you're so weird, (coughs) and you're super tall, and bye. (laughs) So about that time, too, mom started smelling some weird shit in the house, and it was coming from his room. so fluffy. And Fluffy was in the closet, and that is when his abuse, quote-unquote, got even worse, because now she wouldn't let him sleep in the big house with everybody. Oh, she he had to go sleep in the barn outside? In the basement. So <laughs> everybody was going to bed. She would make him go to the basement. She'd lock the door, and he had to sleep in the in a cold, damp space. There was no bed. There was no blankets. And it was dark as hell. And he does so many interviews. He talks about, like, how that was pretty traumatic for a 12-year-old in the dark. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if he still sleeps with his light on. Probably. <clears throat> she says that she did this because she was afraid of him coming into the night and hurting her or her daughter's. Did but she lock him up? Rightly so. She locked him in the basement. Yeah, but chain him and stuff. How's he? What if? I guess. Okay. No, she locked the basement yeah. door on the outside, okay. so he couldn't get she out. So she okay. put him in at night and let him out in the morning to go to school. Oh so gosh. she did lock him up, but and it's like rightly so, right? I, I mean, I. You've just found cat pieces in your kid's closet. I don't know if I'd lock him in a basement, but yeah, you might. Oh, I would actually <laughs> celebrate. <laughs> Not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would feel so sorry for that cat. Um, <laughs> at age 15, he had had enough of his mom. And so he left and he packed his shit up and he hitchhiked to his dad's house, who was in Los Angeles. He's in California. I don't know how far this hitchhike is. Um but it's not like 20 minutes down the road yeah. at all. He was hoping to get a fresh start. He wanted to get away from his mom. Well, he found out when he got there that his dad had remarried and had a stepkid, and it was a little boy. And this yeah. pissed him off because he's like, you left me with this yeah. crazy bitch, and you're over here raising Living somebody else's life. kid. Yeah. So he began acting out pretty quick. And plus, stepmom, dad's new wife, yeah. like, was not feeling him at all. Uh-uh. So after only a month, daddy sent his ass packing back to mom. Oh, no. So then mom didn't even want him. She was, like, happy when most moms, if your kids run away, you're, like, scared and worried and you're trying to find them. No, she Ooh. said she had never slept so better, <laughs> so good. She did not want him back. So she refused him. Dad refused him. 
So she sent him to live with his paternal grandparents. So the daddy's parents. Oh, go kill the grandparents instead? That's what happens. In her words, she was protecting herself and her girls. But she screw even, the grandparents. I know. Screw his family. You're not going to go live with my my parents. And they you probably didn't even know family. he was do- killing all these cats and stuff. No. So he was living with his grandparents on a small little one-acre farm in North Fork, California. And, I mean, just think about how he feels. He's still a little kid, right? He's isolated. He's lonely. And now the feeling of, like, rejection Rege- yeah, yeah. and being unwanted. Those are all not good things. Mm-mm. And to and he started experiencing those at an early, early age. I s- kind of feel sorry for him right now. So you did yeah. really kill those cats, and if it was dogs, it'd be different. But yeah, it's still, cats. it's bad. <coughs> so he ended up having a great relationship with his grandpa. Say yay! Oh yay! His grandpa like bought him a rifle. Oh hell. <laughs> It's going to come back on They him, were Grandpa. conspiring to get the mama. He would take him hunting, and he made a point. to He, like, went out of his way to spend time with little Eddie. Nobody had done this for him, so he it made him feel good. But Grandma, on the other hand, remember, he already don't like women because yeah. they remind him of his mama, was Grandma was like his mama. She was, like, domineering. She was demanding. She was rude. She demasculated Grandpa. And he often fantasized about killing her. Yeah. So when they would go hunting and he'd be shooting a deer in his he'd head, he's shooting Grandma Ma. Shoot Grandma. Poor Grandma. Well, she didn't sound very nice. No. Or likable. Or she's just real alpha and that pissed him off. Yeah. She's alpha male. So on August 27th, Kemper was sitting at the table with his grandma and she started in on him. And they started arguing and he calmly got up from the table, walked outside, and to the garage, and he got his hunting rifle, Grandpa bought him, and shot his grandma in the head, back of the head, and twice in the back. She never even saw it coming because he did it from the back. And for some reason, he says that was not enough, so he grabbed a large knife in the kitchen and stabbed her body repeatedly. He said later he could not kill her enough. He drug her body to her bedroom and left it there and then was like, oh, wait a minute. Grandpa's going to be home soon. I don't (laughs) want Grandpa to see what I did. I don't want him to be disappointed in me, and I don't want him to see his wife this way. So here comes Grandpa pulling up in the driveway, and Eddie grabs that rifle walks out there and shoots his <gasps> grandpa one time in the head and watched him bleed out. Well, why did he do that? Because he, didn't, he want didn't want grandpa to see grandma? Mm-hmm. He was, so think of the two different reasons. He killed mama, a grandma, because he hated her yeah. and women. Grandpa, he killed her to, like, save her, save him from the hurt. He was, like, doing him a favor. Yeah, he. In yeah. his mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. in his mind. So then he's like panicking and he's like, oh shit, what do I do? So he calls, guess who? Mama. Mama uh-uh. Clarnell. Yep. He calls Clarnell and he very calmly, like I'm very calmly telling you this story, says, Mama, I killed Grandma and describes what he did. And then I killed Grandpa because I didn't want him to see Grandma that way. 
And Clarnell was like, I'm going to need you to call the police. <laughs> so he did. She finally convinced him to, and he called the police, and he just, the police, he sat on the porch waiting for the police until they got there. And when the police got there, he was very calm, compliant, and obedient, and they took him and put him in the back of the cop car. And instead of um, them thinking he's like a crazy, I mean, yeah. like a murderer, yeah. like just like yeah. blood craze, they were like, he's got to be insane. Yeah. Why would a 15-year-old commit a double murder? So they took him to a psychiatric, the judge ordered him to a psychiatric hospital, and he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia disorder. Which oh. now we clearly know, right? Yeah. That's not what he is at all. But maybe it was new. I don't know. What? Um, his words, at, like, after this, later on, were like, um, I just wanted the exhaustion over death. Exaltation over the party. In other words, he was winning over death. They were dead, and I was alive, and that was a victory for me. Oh. He felt like a winner. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. So, he's in the psychiatric hospital, and of course, he's flourishing, right? Yeah. Like, he's everybody's best friend. He, the first time he has the structure. First, yeah. Well, and he has friends now. He's not being. The friends are like the doctors. Like, oh, the adults are loving him. Interesting. <laughs> and he's 15? He's right 15, okay. yep. And this first time he's had structure and positivity, and he doesn't have anybody in there, like, talking bad to him all the time. In school, in regular grade school, he struggled, but in here, he was excelling at learning, and they soon found out how smart he was. They gave him an IQ test, and the first time he got a 136, and the second time he got a 145. Only 1% of the world population has an IQ that high. So genius level, right? So then they were like, oh, wait, he can't be a schizo. Schizos can't be this calm and, you know, react as well as he's doing to his treatment. So they re-diagnosed him to passive-aggressive personality type. Okay, what at what level... Are you, is, is your IQ so high that you're a, like, you're the, you're a genius, but you're, you can't relate to other people. Social skills are off or what? Yeah. Like you're just like beyond the us peons because you can't even think that low. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if IQ level has anything to do with how they can empathize to other people, but I don't know. I know that he was just so high, but he had no idea because he didn't have the opportunity to know how smart he was because his home life interfered with his ability to actually learn or even show that in school. Because I feel like Kanye is... Okay, so now they know he's not schizophrenic, which is really good because when you're not schizophrenic, you can actually rehabilitate. And because he was making such good progress... Kemper was like, ooh, let me seize this opportunity. Let me conceal my urges. Not work through them, but Mm -hmm. conceal his angry urges, his violent urges to attack. And he started listening to the doctor, but only to learn 
what he needed to say and do in order to be seen oh. as normal. Yes. So he was rehabilitating, quote unquote, in their words in hope that one day he would be able to leave. So he was like playing the part, yeah. basically. Um, so he was playing the part, but the doctor saw cooperative, brilliant, respectful young man. And so they were like, basically, he was the doctor's pet. Yeah. Like they damn near hired him on the staff. He was given all these responsibilities. He would help administer the psychiatric evaluations to the other patients. So he had like these test kits that they would give these people and he was in charge of them. So what do you think he did with these test kits? Psychological evaluation kits. I don't know if they're kits. Um, I don't. He memorized the questions <gasps> and the answers. Oh, oh. For when he was given one in the future, he knew exactly how it should be answered. And then he was in the room, so it'd be like, I'm the the um, offender, right? You got Ed Kemper, and then you got the psychiatrist in there. So he was helping the psychiatrist administer this test to these sex offenders, to these murderers, Little did the psychiatrist know that he was taking mental notes. Mm. He learned how to gain a woman's trust. He learned how to choose victims. And the most important thing he learned was it was best to kill a woman after you rape them so that you don't have a witness. Never leave a witness. So he was making a how-to guide oh for himself. Oh, my gosh. And the doctors are like, this motherfucker's cured. We're going to get famous behind him. <laughs> like, they just have no idea. Not because they're incompetent, because yeah, that's how good he was. Yeah, yeah. He might be my new favorite. He was brilliant, and the doctors basically helped him become a pretty legit serial killer, right? They helped, like, groom him for uh, later Yeah, on. unknowingly. So, when he gets out, he's pretty legit because he does get out. And we're going to take a quick break, and I'll tell you what happens when he gets so out. So, go refill your drinks. So, now it's 1969, and he has only been in the psychiatric hospital for five years. And they say, you're ready. You can be reintroduced into society. So, hello, Eddie. He's hey. back in California. He's 21. 21. On his 21st birthday. He and has released. any of his family, like, talk, he hasn't talked to any, anybody? No. Okay. No. The doctors gave him one condition. One condition. Where do you even go? I don't know. Okay. They told him, don't go home. Because yeah. he could, he... He could hide his that he had the urges to kill. He couldn't hide his hatred for his mom. Yeah. So they were like, wherever you go, don't go to your mom's. Well, there's nobody else. So the parole board put him back with his mom. One, he had no money. Two, he had no job. He couldn't support himself. So it's be on the street. But when you're on parole, you have to have an address tied to your parole so they know when to come, where to come see well, you. They're setting him up for failure, basically. But what option did they have? I don't know. Daddy wasn't coming to, wasn't letting you come. Well, I guess he don't what have about, grandma, What's grandpa a halfway anymore? house? I don't know if that was a thing back then. This is sixty nine. Sixty nine. So, back to mama. He went, 
And so he was living in a small little suburb outside of Santa Cruz. And Mama was working for the University of California, Santa Cruz. Was she so pissed that he came back? Yes, of course. Oh, my gosh. What's her name? Carnella? Clarnell. Clarnell. As part of his parole, he had to enroll in college. So he enrolled in a local community college. And they got along for like one whole month, 30 days, right? Oh, my gosh. And then it went south, and she started in on his ass, and she was just like, you're not, you ain't worth shit. You'll never have a girlfriend. You're whatever. Well, she just needs to calm down. Yeah. She can't help herself. No, no. And he says later on that she had her own horrible childhood, and well, don't have kids. but he blames everything on her. Which I'm kind of in between. I know. I'm okay. kind of in between with it. Um, so, and not only, like, because he felt so good about himself in the hospital, right? He flourished there, and now you're coming back and you're hearing this. It's just he's being suppressed, all, and he's just, like, going. Yes, he's like getting it. he's getting ridiculed, like, constantly. Then the world's kind of crazy, and it's overwhelming to him. Like, you've got these college students everywhere. They're picketing. They're fighting. They're, like, the world is a little bit different from when he went in. And he's like, you know what? There's so much commotion. I ought to become a cop. I'm going to oh, become a police yes, officer yes. so that I can help with this commotion and this hysteria because, you know, I want to do good. I want to give did. back. So he enrolled in criminology courses and he aced all those classes. Um, and he was able to apply to be a state trooper because of his what he did as a young kid was sealed. Those records were sealed. Oh, shit. Okay. So he got really, really close, but he ultimately did not become a police officer. Guess why? I know why. He was too big. Too tall. And that's so, like, that's, that's he was outside of the height. It is. He was outside of the height parameters because he was 6'9". Okay. Well, what is he supposed to do about that? You can put him behind a desk. These weird laws is like you couldn't. What could he not? Women. He can't fit in a car. Like what? You would think you would want him to be intimidating. He could sit there and be an uh, interrogator. I mean, come on. Surely you have somewhere for him. This hurt his feelings I really bet it bad. Did. He probably, that's, you know what? That's the trigger. That was his trigger. <laughs> that's his stressor. Like he's, he's trying to get on the right path. He's like, I have goals. I'm trying to go to college. <laughs> I want to be a police officer. And now you're saying I'm too damn tall. Too and it's my tall. mom's fault because I'm her kid. And now I'm going to go you know, kill everybody. Yeah, kill everybody. And that's what happens. Yep. So he's not only, uh, he was already self-conscious about his size, right? Because he was bullied about his whole life. Too bad he wasn't and athletic. now he's rejected again. I was like, he needs to be somebody's right tackle. Surely you can at least do that. Why didn't USC pick him up? Or <sighs> UCAL or somebody. You can put his hand on the ground. Probably couldn't. Maybe, Maybe he could. wasn't coordinated. He probably wasn't. I mean, at 6'9", how coordinated can you really be? I don't be? know, but basketball players? True. I think he was big, though, at this time. Like fat? Yeah. Well. Um, okay. But he knew. Okay, he was like, all right, I can't be, I can't be a cop, whatever. But he needed to get out of his mom's house because his urges were getting bigger, like worse, worse and worse and worse. And so he got a job actually at the California Highway Department. Guess who worked there? Ted Bundy? 
his grandpa. <laughs> Ted Bundy, I think, thought he was too good to have these jobs, like oh. a little menial job like that. But mm. um, his grandpa, who he killed, worked and retired from there. So can you imagine, like, this? he just died. This oh grandpa just God. died and was killed by Ed Kemper III. And now Ed Kemper III is applying for a job. Oh, my gosh. No. That's weird. Yeah. But he got the job. So he did? He okay. did. And he worked there for months and he saved up a bunch of money and he got his own apartment in a place called Almeida that was 90 minutes from mom because he didn't want to be too close uh, to yeah. act so that she can access her. But you know what Spitch did? She call him every day. Check well, on okay, him. Okay, this is, this is the issue. <laughs> if you don't like him, you don't want to be associated with him, you didn't talk to him the whole five years he was in this facility and now he's out he's like getting away from your ass because you're freaking crazy psycho mean he gets a job he's trying to just be good and you keep harassing him and she would show up on these surprise visits at his house and he was just like i can never get away from her I can never shut her up. And so he kind of still felt controlled. And so these demons and these were coming back and he was fantasizing about the acts of violence that he wanted to commit. And then he realized, I'm afraid of women because of my mom. When he would talk to women, like, just nonchalantly, he was awkward and he was scared and he thought what she told him all the time was true that he would never have a healthy relationship with a woman because he was weird and awkward and nerdy and all these things that she told him right so then she he begins to resent women even more because it's tr- kind of true yeah. right he does he's awkward around women yeah so how are you ever gonna get a girlfriend if you can't even have a conversation with one <laughs> right but guess what? He gets a girlfriend. Oh, no. Yes, he's in his early 20s. And I'm just like, oh, what if this work would have worked out? She's we wouldn't be like talking about him now. She's probably like tall, and I get real pissed when real tall people have real She tall, probably is. I don't. They don't say much about her. He's real good about masking um, the people in his story. I guess he don't want to turn their lives upside down. But he dated a girl in high school. She was 16 years old. He was like 23-ish at the time. And they had a decent relationship to where they're engaged. Oh. Oh, to get married. But guess who didn't like it and didn't approve? Mama. Mama Clarnell. Who cares? Why did you not do it anyway? And it's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's what Caroline did. (laughs) It worked out so well. Well, and that that fact is that he's still so weak to her. Like, he listens to her because they eventually get separated, and he never has a relationship with a woman again. But he's not gay. No. No, he's not gay at all. He just is asexual, like we learned earlier in the episode. He's just a necrophiliac. I think so. He's just a necrophiliac. Wait, that's sex with dead people. Yeah. So, so he's not asexual, he's necrosexual. No, he loves women. So they separate, and he was like, well, why don't you fix me up with some of those college girls that you work with, that you yeah. have on campus, if yeah. you want me to date somebody my own age, right? 
Yeah. Mom? And she tells him, oh, no, you don't deserve to get to know them. They are way beyond you. Okay, she needs to go. College co-eds. Oh, she does go. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she does go real far. <laughs> um, this will factor into, like, his type later on when he oh. actually starts killing. Right? He tells her she's not good. He tells him. She, she tells, tells him. him yeah. He's not good enough for these college girls. Okay. And he's like, bitch, come on. Yeah. Wait till oh. you see what I can do is basically what he's saying. So he started to frequent a bar called the jury room. And the local police, this is where they would hang out after their shifts. And he was like, well, I can't become a cop, but I might as well become friends with the cop. And so he cozies up to them and befriends them, and he describes himself as a friendly nuisance. Okay. And they describe him as a gentle giant and very respectful. And he was so harmless that they would come and talk about their cases for the day or how they solved them or what was going on. And he would be listening, but they were like, "What?" I mean, he's just, yeah. he was almost invisible. And I think he knew it, and that's why he did these things. But... Little did they know that he was listening and learning. So he learned how cops, like, predict and react to certain situations, like how they try to solve a case and how they look at evidence. So he's learning. He's learning. He's learning. This helps him later on. And it's 1972, and his desires are, like, out of control. He lost his job. He was about to run out of money. So he knew he was moving back in with mom. What? And lost his job? Yes. I don't know why he lost his job. And it begins. So he was like, let me train first. Let me train before I actually kill. Oh. It's like training before his marathon <coughs> or something. Yeah. And so he said he would first just randomly talk to girls on the street and to try to get acquainted and strike up friendships, right? Mm -hmm. Then he would drive around in his Ford Galaxy and he would drive down the highways and the streets to get up nerve to pick up a hitchhiker. And when he does, he would talk to them and he was practicing social skills, because he didn't have yeah, them, really. Yeah. And he was very uncomfortable talking to women. So he gives over 150 ride to female rides to female hitchhikers before he even... He's just kind of like an Uber driver. He's basically <laughs> an Uber driver <laughs> before Uber was invented. And so his goal is to talk to them, and he wants them to be comfortable in his presence and trust him. That's his goal. Yeah. I mean, that I, I can see how that, I mean, you got to work up to that, yeah. He's smart. Yeah. He's smart, and he yeah. wants ultimate control. So if they get in the car willingly and they trust him willingly, that gives him the control he never thought he had over anybody. Yeah. So then he starts storing some kill tools in his trunk. So he's storing knives, blankets, handcuffs, plastic bags in his trunk. So he's getting a little bit closer. Then he rigs the passenger door so that it couldn't be opened from the inside. So anybody he gives a ride to can't get out unless he gets out and actually lets them out. And he did that to appear to be a gentleman. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then he started carrying a gun. He had a twenty-two 
something caliber that he would keep under his driver's seat. So he's like inching closer, right? On May 7th, 1972, um, him and his mom just had a fight. He sees two students hitchhiking from Fresno State College to go into Stanford. So they won a ride from Fresno to Stanford. Her name, Their name was Marianne and Anita. They were both 18 years old. He was smooth because he had practice, right? Yeah. He talked to them, and he was so good that he veered off the actual path that he was supposed to go. And they trust he made them feel so safe that they didn't even notice. They weren't even worried until he pulled into like a wooded area and they began to panic. And he ever so calmly reassured him, them, that he would drop them back off. But he needed Marianne to do a couple things for him. So he ordered her to get out of the car they went to the trunk, and in that trunk, he got out a knife and a plastic bag. He tried to sh- smother her with the plastic bag first, but she fought. And um, fought and fought and fought. And he eventually just had to stab her instead of suffocating her. And that's not how, he, not planned how he planned it. it. Yeah, okay. so it kind of aggravated him a little bit. Um, and in the fight, he bu- she busted out his taillights. Okay. Oh. Anita was in the car and kind of panicking too. So he was like, I don't got time. Like this already is kind of going south. He just slit her throat, put them both into the trunk. And he kind of sat there for a minute because he was like, oh, this is his first kill that he planned. And it didn't really go right. Uh-uh. And then he gathered himself and he drove off and he got pulled over by the police. Because of his taillight. Because of his taillight. And he's so good with his words, just oh. like Jeffrey Dahmer. He gave him some excuse, and they gave him a warning, and he went home. And when he went home, he dismembered the corpses. He took them to their apartment, up to his apartment. <coughs> he dismembered them, wrapped each body part in plastic bags, and scattered them throughout the Loma Perita Mountains. That means something to people in California. He learned this on a cop show, that if you throw them in the pieces of the bodies in different areas, it'd be harder for them to be found and identified. So he'd go like one arm here and then drive down and throw a leg over here and drive down and throw, you know, just pieces of the body. So they were spread in the mountains. Um, And he disposed of the two heads last after he engaged in oral sex with them first. So he would have what? the heads give him oh. a blowjob. It's the head. I mean, they I still understand. have a mouth. I know. Okay, so I always went back and forth. I was like, did he screw the neck? <laughs> I see. Or did he put it in the mouth? He put the head over his penis uh-huh. in the mouth, uh-huh. and he moved it. Like yes. And but it didn't like have any like suction. <laughs> Rated R podcast. I'm trying to tell this you this is so. Podcast. There's the head, right? He just wants okay. Well, a head comes what? into play again. First, it was the head of the Barbies. Now the head of then the head of the cats. Now the head of the women's, and he keeps the heads longer than he keeps any part of the body. At what point? 
do you think about doing this? I, he I says mean, he don't know. He says never you know, mind the whole <laughs> killing and dismembering and throwing over the mountains. Heck? But let's focus on this oral sex from a decapitated head. head. What? Oh my gosh! I know. I know. I know. I found about him. Found out about him late in life, and I was like, "How did I go my whole life without not knowing about him?" Yeah. So, um, they didn't tell me all this on Mindhunter. See, that's probably why they're canceled. <laughs> <laughs> so the heads, like, why does he fixate on heads? And a psychiatrist later says that by removing their heads, he was completely control in control of them. They were damn. no longer human. They were a doll for him to play with. Well, you can get a damn blow-up doll. Okay, so right after he killed them, they were reported missing. They had families that were oh missing gosh. them, right? Yeah. Popos. Of course, they did not take it seriously. They thought that Marion and Nita ran away to have a better life and that they could not afford to spend money and time looking for teens who did not want to be found. Of co- oh, that's normal for back then. That is yeah. so normal. Yeah. Which there were a lot of runaway teens, yeah. or were they? So, Well, you know, a lot of them got taken by UFOs, according to Sherry oh, Schreiner. Yeah, true. We're just finding out about <laughs> it. So two and a half months later, Mary Ann's body like not body head was found in the mountains oh, um shit. and so the police looked like assholes but they knew something happened to Marion and Nita now but they still didn't investigate because there was nothing else to investigate yeah now we would have like searched all the mountains right oh yeah now we would have did like some DNA tests and maybe they would have found some yeah. DNA in her mouth or something because of what he did with her mouth. <laughs> but then they're just like, oh, this is all we have. We still can't do anything. So there's that, Popos. Oh, my gosh. Um, so he went on a four-month, like, hiatus. And during this four months, he was basically 33 in himself. Yeah, he was trying to, killing. like, be like, okay, what did I do wrong? What can I do better? How do I make this perfect? Yes, how do I perfect yeah. my craft? What went wrong? Four years later, four Probably months later. Probably because he had two people. You need to just start with one. He kills in twos alike. But this time, he sees one. It's an, He's just happens upon her. It's a 15-year-old girl named Aiku Ku. Aiko Ku. She was going, she was at the bus stop catching a bus to dance class, but she missed the bus. And he just pulls up and sees her standing there alone, and he offers to give her a ride to dance. And she says, I can't even tell my mom. I have no way to call my mom and tell her that I missed the bus to come and get me. Guess there's no pay phones there. So his ruse, he had been practicing for a while. Okay. He was going to tell her, they talked for a while on the drive, and then he told her that he she was being kidnapped oh. because he was severely depressed and he wanted to commit suicide and take her with him. He didn't want to do it alone. Oh. But as he drove and got to know her, he thought that her life should be spared, that she didn't deserve to die. So first she panicked thinking, he's going to kill me. 
And then she calmed down when he says, you don't deserve to die. So then she's kind of trusting him and she's kind of like um, uh, bargaining for her life a mm-hmm. little bit, telling him why should he should, should live. And um, he gets out, he stops the car and he gets out and he goes to the trunk. And that's when he locks himself out of the car. His keys are in the car, his gun's in the car. He's on the outside in the trunk, and she's in there. Listen, I g- actually, I get why his mom was an ass to him. It <laughs> really does it. sound like an idiot. <laughs> he was, I don't know if he was he fumbling and, like, nervous or whatever. or thought it was going so good. He's probably this big old dopey guy. He's like, oh. Like, I mean. But listen what happens. Okay. He convinces her. To let him in. To let him in. She Trust begins to trust him, but like, what other choice does she have? Could she the drive away? Keys were in there, like drive. There's she. I don't think she knew the gun was under the seat, but damn. And what she was fifteen, fifteen. Maybe she didn't know how to drive, but I still, don't know, still. So she lets him back in, and that's the last decision she would make. He immediately chokes her until she was unconscious. Why did he kill her then? He thought he didn't want to. He was, that was his ruse. Oh, well, he tricked me. (laughs) (laughs) That was his story that he had been practicing for four months. Well, I thought that was going to be real. Listen, I'm about to get kidnapped and I'm going to be. Now they know exactly what to tell you. You, I loved this conversation so much that I don't now do not want to kill you. So he chokes her only until she was unconscious and he rapes her. She's still alive. Oh, she's only unconscious. Yeah, I think that's the only time he does that. Then he strangles her to death with her own scarf. And then he's like, oh, I'm thirsty. Let me go have a drink. And he goes and have drinks with all the cops at the jury room. Where does he put her in the trunk? He's yeah, sorry, she's in the trunk. And he even says that he leaves the bar at one point and goes out to the trunk just to open it up and admire his kill. And this kill made him feel amazing. He felt like a man for once in his life because think about it. He she trusted him to get in the car. And then he fucked up. Yeah, I screwed it up. And then she trusted him again to let him back in the car. So he was like, I'm a man now. Clarnell, what Who's you got to say about this? Mm. Who's Here your daddy? Go. Who's your daddy? Oh, my gosh. So he later takes her home after he goes drinking at the bar, and he removes her head, has sex with her body over several days. Headless? He's headless. Oh. Well, yes. Yeah. Sometimes he would put the head up on the shelf. Sometimes he would put it on the pillow with him. Like he would, he would spend time like these bodies were his girlfriend over several days. Then he dismembered it, and he'd scattered the limbs across d- random deserted locations in California. They, she was never found. Hmm? Her oh, parents never got closure. Got eaten by like just yeah vultures and anything. Animals. Um, here's what's crazy about Iko, this girl. He kept her head for a lot longer in the trunk of his car. Well, the day after he killed her, he had an appointment with his psychiatrist. And this was a great appointment because they just basically said, you graduated from being psycho. 
You're you're ready to not be on parole. You don't have to ha- come to these meetings anymore. Like oh you win at life. You're basically cured. cured. All the while, he's got a head in his trunk of his car. How does this car not like leak blood <laughs> at this point? I think they stopped making these cars because of him. So um, Iko's mom reported her missing, but it was never investigated, and she was never found. I need a never pee break. Never investigated? No. No, no, no. And you would think it would be because she, oh, she, she was supposed to go to dance. When they said she never showed up for dance, and the police should have, like, raised an eyebrow. But they just thought she was a runaway, too. They were just at the jury room drinking. Let's go pee. Y'all top off your drinks. So, Edmund, after this kill, he was broke. Out of money. So, he's moving back home. No. Mama Clarnell. (coughs) Clarnell. 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 I don't know what it is. She don't deserve respect on her name. No. Um, His life back home was... Of course, not great. Like it never was. He's feeling inadequate again, and so he's like, "I need a kill." He goes to Cabrillo College campus where he finds Cindy Shaw, an eighteen-year-old college student. <coughs> Kemper offers her a ride. And she was at first hesitant because she was like, he's so big. Like, if I get in a situation, I can't take him, you know? Exactly. But he's so smooth. Oh, my God. And he gains her trust. And immediately when she got in the car, he shoots her in the head, killing her instantly. He was not even off the campus yet. He drove the body back to his mother's house, and he hid the body in his closet overnight. He wanted to make sure he went to sleep with the body near. Um, and he was like, I'll just wait till Mama goes to work in the morning. He's very, like, Jeffrey Dahmer-esque. Hey, yeah. That's why you like him. Yes, yes. So Mama goes to work, right? And when she leaves, he's, like, up and his words are, we have sex several times. Oh. they ha- He has sex with the body yeah. several times. Then he beheaded and dismembered her in mama's bathtub. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's all about his mama. He disposed of the body parts as he's driving along the Pacific Ocean. All except for, guess what piece? The head. The head. He keeps the head for several days in his closets and performs oral sex with it like he does with the others. And he eventually buries the head in the yard, his yard, outside of his mama's bedroom window. And he positions it so that it's looking up at her. Oh, my gosh. He later says she always wanted somebody to look up to her. Oh, it's horrible. Wow. We're laughing at how psycho he is. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing. So all of Cindy's body parts were found within the next day. What? So he was like, I'm never going to dispose of them in water again. <gasps> oh. um, 
so they're found the next they day. They float it up. And so whatever type of autopsy or that they did, they revealed that she was shot because she was, but there was no bullet because he knew to take off the bullets because he learned yes. that mm-hmm. at the jury room. Mm-hmm. And um, they said she was shot and then she was stabbed multiple times and then dismembered and disposed of, which is exactly what happened. And now the police are like, oh, we got a killer on our hands. Oh, finally. But they actually have two. There's two serial killers working in this area at the same time. There was Ed that they don't know about and a guy named Herbert Mullen. Haven't looked into him. He was a schizophrenic killer and he claimed he only killed for about a year. He claimed voices told him to kill innocent people to prevent an earthquake that was going to end the world. He was an, we know him as now he's an opportunist because he just like randomly killed men, women, whatever. He, a month after he was caught, so they were, so they caught Mullins and they were like, oh great, all these killings are going to stop, right? But a month after he was caught, (coughs) two college co-eds were found spread, their body parts spread apart across Eden Canyon. This was Rosalind Thorpe and Allison Lou, they were picked up from the college that his mama worked at. So you see Santa Cruz. Getting closer to her. Yes. This was right after the University of California put out an alert telling all the people, all the college students, especially the women, don't get in the car with people you don't know. Hitchhiking's a big deal. (coughs) And then they were like, but if you do, make sure they have a UCAL sticker because the killer wouldn't be associated with the college, oh right? Guess who had a UCAL sticker? Mm-hmm. Eddie Boy, because his mama worked there, and he took his mama to work a lot. So they got in the car with him because he had that UCAL sticker. They were oh. actually following the instructions that were given, thinking they would be safe. Um, And he felt so uh, high and mighty. That he dismembered them in his driveway. He was like invincible. He was getting cocky. Yeah. Yeah. And the tr- so they were in the trunk of his car, and he was just dismembering them in broad daylight. He said that at one point he looked up, looked at his neighbor's house, and they were sitting on the couch watching TV. Like somebody just had to go for a walk or drive by, and they yeah. would have saw what he was doing. But the fact that it didn't happen, what? like you said, he felt invincible. Yeah. So it's getting close to the end, <clears throat> and it's April 2nd. It's 1983. So he's only been killing not even a year, and he oh, decides. Wow. all these? All, yeah, yeah. He decides, um, let me upgrade my weapon of choice. He had a twenty two caliber. Now he wants a forty four Magnum revolver. And back then, like it is now, not just anybody can buy they have to like run your records before you buy like a gun, especially mm-hmm. a gun like this. So his records were sealed, remember? So oh. he was able to buy this gun, took it home, but I guess as like a backup plan, they have the police run the records, like run a background check too. Mm-hmm. But it don't make sense because he already got the gun and he's at home. So when the police get a request for a background check, they're able to now see sealed 
youth oh. records. So they're like, oh, Ed Kemper, hmm, he he had a double murder way back in the day. Oh Let's just go and pick up this gun until he's cleared. Mm-hmm. Make sure nothing else is on the record, right? So the day after Eddie buys the gun, <coughs> the cops show up at his house. And they knock on the door. And he's flipping out on the inside, but on the outside, he's cool. And he's very polite, and he's very cooperative. And um, they ask for a gun, and he says, oh, yeah, the little one? He gives them the gun. They're searching through his closet. In this closet is dirty pictures of bodies that he's took pictures of, some, like, IDs and possessions of the co-ed, of the killers. Yeah, but they don't see any of it. And they get the gun, and they leave, and they say, you can get this back when your record clears. This is just a normal, routine thing. They assure him. On the inside, he's paranoid, yeah. right? Because he thinks he's that they're, like, closing in, on, yeah. but they clearly have no idea. So <clears throat> April 20th, he's like, I'm killing these women, but it's satisfying me for a moment, but they're not the people who I want to kill. I want to kill Mama. Mama. So listen to him tell us about it. 427. That was one week before I murdered my mother. I said, she's got to die, and I've got to die. Poor girls like that are going to die. And that's when I decided I'm going to murder my mother. I knew a week before she died, I was going to kill her. And she went out to a party. She got soused. She came home, went to sleep. I was woken up by that. I got came out. I walked up to her bed. She's laying there reading a paperback. As many thousands of nights before. And she said, oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Shit. And I looked at her. I said, no. I said, good night. And I knew I was going to kill her, you know? And I'm so cold, it's so hard. And that's the first time in 10 years I've looked at it that way. I mean, that intensely, that honestly. It hurts. Because I'm not a lizard. I'm not from under a rock. I came out of her vagina, see? I came out of my mother. And in a rage, I went right back in. For seven years, she said, I haven't had sex with a man because of you, my murderous son. It's one of our arguments. I cut off her head, and and I humiliated her corpse. I said, there, you know? A six-year-old woman dead because of the way she raises her son and the way her son is raised, the way he grows up. And what's her closing words? I suppose you want to sit up all night and talk. God, I, don't, I wish I had. Did he just say he, was, he wasn't a lizard? <laughs> <laughs> He's confessing that he is not a reptilian. Dude, there's way too many reptilian conversa- things <laughs> happening lately that I'm thinking it might be real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he decided to kill his mom. He decided to kill his mama. 
He waited until she went to sleep and he got a claw hammer and he beat her to death. And she said that he it was his fault because she didn't have sex for seven years. Yeah, because people around there knew his her son was my murderous son, basically. So I guess she couldn't get a date. So he beats her to death. He decapitates her and her head engages in oral sex with her, and then places her head on a shelf and uses it as a dartboard. He smashes her face in, removes the larynx larynx, Larynx, and the tongue, and puts them both in the garbage disposal. (sighs) It's his final way of shutting his mom up, but it shot back up at him, and it hit him in his face. And he was like, yeah, she's got to have the last word. Then, in the video, it said, in a fit of rage, I I came out of her vagina, in a fit of rage, I went back in. He had sex with his mother's dead body. Then hid it in his closet and went to the jury room and had a drink with the popos. Just take a minute and let that sink in. Like... (laughs) <laughs> What's the difference, though, what he did to her than what he did to everybody else? I mean, he's doing the same thing. Is he thinking he's doing something worse to her? Well, I th- I think he was more... They, he kind of nurtured and coddled these people, like the other women, oh, right? Oh, this one, he threw darts at their face. He d- threw darts. He beat her face in. He put her throat... Oh, in the garbage, yeah. In the garbage disposal. There's a lot of symbolism behind here. So I, all his kills were overkill, but this is would probably be at the top of his... Yeah. Things, I would think. Um, But to do all the sexual stuff with your mom, I think is uh, like, that's weird. It's one thing they like kill her. But the fact that you are, he said he humiliated her body. That's that's too weird. This is it's like David Berg, Children of God type shit. Maybe he's part of that cult. Um, so when he was at the bar, he was like, they're going to find my mom and they're going to look right at me because people know how much I hate my mom. So he was thinking and drinking and thinking. And he was like, maybe I set it up to look like it was a, um, intruder. So he goes, when he goes back home, he then, he calls his mom's best friend, Sally. And he's like, Hey, Sally, my mom wants you to come over Whatever. Sally, being the best great friend that she is, comes over, and he lets her in and acts like he's giving her a hug, and he chokes her with her own scarf. That's the second time he's done that with the scarf. Yeah, with their own scarf. He decapitates her, spends the night with her body. So now these – so he went from young co-eds to, like, these two old ladies – and then he took her car and fled in her car for three days. And he was paranoid. He was listening to the radio constantly because he was like, I'm about to be arrested, about to be arrested. Days and days and days. He turns on the radio and nothing. Like, no, it's not. It's the crime isn't even discovered. So he's paranoid for no reason, right? He really could probably still get away. I mean, yeah, he gets away with so much. So after several days, he's almost gone for close to two weeks. He 
he's like, you know what? My life's mission is complete. <laughs> I did what <laughs> I wanted to do. And so, and then he was pissed because he was like, I haven't gotten any recognition for any of the mm. shit that I've done. Right? Yeah. So he goes to a payphone. He's in Pueblo, California. He goes to the payphone and he calls the Santa Cruz police. And he confesses to murdering his mom, his mom's friend, and seven other, or his mom and seven other women. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy that answered the phone knows him from the bar, and he was like, oh, Eddie. Oh, no. You're silly. Laughs and hangs up the phone in his face. <clears throat> so Eddie is like, He's what like, the I hell? I can't even turn myself in. He was, I'm still invisible. So then he calls back piss and he's like, I need to speak to Jim O'Connor, Officer Jim O'Connor. So Jim gets on the phone and he tells Jim the same thing he told the other cop. And he says, if you don't believe me, go to my house right now. I'll stay on the phone. Go to my house and you'll see what I did. Well, they saw. And so he says, I'll be waiting on you. So he sat there at the payphone while they picked him up in Pueblo, Colorado and on the way back to Santa Cruz Police Station, he's confessing to all the murders in detail like he does on all his mm. videos. Y'all, if you just want to sit down and listen to some confessions, go on YouTube and watch his videos. I'll actually put them in the show notes. Um, so on May 7th, this is exactly one year after his first kill. May 7th, 1972, he killed the two girls... Did all that in just one year? One year. May 7th, 1983, he was formally charged with eight counts of first-degree murder. He tried to plea insanity and in saying he ate the bodies, but he really didn't. There was no... But he'd already told them everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he... I mean, he is... I mean, he I, took that he back really quick. like he would be insane, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the psychiatrist, like, declared him very sane and competent. And so the trial started, and they convicted him on all the eight counts, and he got seven years to life for each count, which is not a lot. Just seven years for one person? Yeah. And so after you did all that stuff, I mean, you've got to have so many charges, though. But still, seven, that's weird. It's real weird. Tampering so, with the corpse, mutilation, <sighs> like, I mean, how it's many? It's a lot. Yeah. But he only got first-degree murder for some reason? Um, okay, so he asked for the death penalty, but they ignored him. So I don't know why. Because they that's all they do is ignore him. <laughs> Been ignored his whole life. <laughs> it's just like they just continue to ignore him. That's why he talks so much. So <clears throat> in prison. How old a- is he at this point? We don't know. Um, shoot, I don't know. Hold on. Well, because no. I was like, if he did all this within a year... So it was. He has to be pretty young. He's maybe 25, 26. Wow. He's not even in his 30s yet. So, of course, in prison, he is thriving. He loves the officers (laughs) with everybody. I mean, like, he's just good at structure and um, he's a model inmate. And he was released last month. 
and he was talky talkerston, right? Because he confesses to everything. Now he's helpy helperston because, oh like, he's scheduling appointments for the prison psychiatrist. He's damn near answering phones. They probably gave him a key. <coughs> he was up for parole in 1979, so was convicted in 73, up for parole in 79. But he told them he did not want to be released. He wanted to go about living his life in prison how he had been. Yeah. He has been up for parole seven times since then. What? His last one being in 2017 the other day. (gasps) Why would they even put him up for parole? That is awful. (laughs) This world is so bad. I'm going to go to Russia. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) He is actually... In the same prison as Herbert Mullen, that other oh, the serial other killer. Him up with? Okay. And Herbert is actually obsessed with Kemper and wants to like room with him and talk to him about their killings. But Kemper, his one chance to have a friend, he don't is, want. It. He don't want anything to do with him. He thinks he's annoying. Oh my gosh! Um, anytime somebody comes to visit him, he talks their head off. So and you have ca- a chance. I know. I think you need to do it. I think I need to go to California. Yeah. He's helped us understand minds of serial killers. He helped us, like, with criminal profiling, criminal psychology. And he's told so much about his childhood in hopes, he says, that this can be recognized in another child and maybe they can get help, which he got help. Yeah. Um, or prevent a su- future serial killer. And like Caroline said at the beginning, he's known for his role in Mindhunters, Mindhunters, which is a true story about former FBI agent John Douglas, who kind of coined profiling. Mm-hmm. So John, du- if you watch Criminal Minds of the BAU, John Douglas started the BAU, Behavioral Analysis Unit. Wow. And so... Kemper, amongst other serial killers, like Candy, the guy that helped Candyman, Dean Coral, like helped him. They interviewed that. But this is why I think we shouldn't kill serial killers. I know it's horrible. Well, yeah, keep them in jail, obviously. But, like, you can study them. Study them. They're like lab rats. He helped us. I mean, we can now catch serial killers, maybe, or get closer to catch them because he told us so much, taught us so much. It <laughs> still is, though, it's so confusing how you can want to, like, be next to a dead body and, like, sleep next <laughs> Like, what? Uh, yeah. That's something I will forever not understand. You can teach that, though, you know, like, that desire. How do you... I, okay. Under, how do you understand somebody who has that desire? Well, so like we talked about Dennis Nielsen, like he had it when he saw his dad, his grandpa dead on the table. He was like yeah, the British yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That did something in him, right? But he didn't have anything like that. He, the only thing I can think of is that he was so lonely and the only way for him to get that companionship that he yearned for his whole life was to get it from a dead body. Because I but was like, steal. get a pet, but then he killed all his cats. He killed the cats. Don't get a cat. Mm-hmm. Y'all, there is Eddie for you. I love it. That was so great. I was so into it. He 
Do we know how crazy. old he is right now? 73. Okay. Mm. And he is still alive. He actually reads books on tape for people who are blind. Um, and he actually works with clay and pottery and makes amazing coffee mugs. I would love to buy a Kenneth, I mean a Kenneth, um, Ed Kemper made coffee mug. I wonder if you can get that somewhere on eBay. You, who uses eBay? People? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I yeah, don't know. people do. Oh, okay. Uh, try Craigslist. That sa- seems safer. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, my gosh. Wow. Woo! Ed Kemper. There, yeah. he, there it is. There it is. I bet it would be actually very upsetting if you saw him in real life and he didn't look like the, the one pe- off the mine hunters. Yeah. Yeah, because if you look at this video, I mean, he looks like him, but not really. Well, this one picture looks like. That's yeah, how you. That must be like his initial arrest. But then this picture, he's like real. Ew. Ooh. I don't want to meet that guy. I want to meet the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline. Wow. I love it. I love it. I wish. No, I don't. Never no. mind. I mean, I would love to write him a letter, and he write me one back. I was going to say, wish he was like, that lonely, and he did write. Why him did back. they not? Ki- why did they <coughs> keep him alive, and they killed Ted Bundy because he escaped from prison fourteen times? Yeah, and oh. he was in Florida. Oh yeah, because Ted Bundy would have got out again. But I don't know if it was California, like didn't do the death penalty. Well, I guess we'll find out in like three weeks. Why? When we talk about Ted Bundy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're doing him last. Who do you have for us next week? B T K bond torture kill right bind bind torture kill bind torture kill all right y'all that is the end that of the first great. story loved it loved it tell us what you think I want to know do you guys think Eddie was a born killer was it nature versus nurture and I think this is the biggest argument of <sighs> nature versus nurture was it his mama's fault. You gotta be born with some of that. Or was he gonna be a killer either way? I don't know. And there was no pornography. There was no porn. So that doesn't go with any of my theories. Nope. Nope. So Ted Bundy's theory too. Wow. Um. Also, you know, let us know if you like the history lesson. (laughs) (laughs) I was real proud of it. Don't forget to go on and rate us, review us, and subscribe to us. We love reading your reviews over the podcast, so go and send us some. Um, what else should they do, Caroline? Um, if you have any crazy stories, send, a- <laughs> send us your stories. <laughs> Got a couple of those. <clears throat> also, don't forget to... Stay aware. Stay alive. And always be DTF. Bye, y'all. Bye. has been a Rogue Media Podcast.